God damn you. It is a little strange that we have such an aversion to slavery uh, because historically there have been abuses for many people, poor people, perhaps people who weren't educated, perhaps people who had no other opportunity. Working for a gentle, caring, loving master was the best of all possible worlds. Campus is a loaded minefield. There are girls everywhere. And it's guaranteed that I will pass some attractive girls as I walk in between classes. If it's not requiring her to sin, but simply hurting her, then I think she endures verbal abuse for a season, and she endures perhaps being smacked one night, and then she seeks help from the church. It would be hard for me to see how a woman could be a drill sergeant, right face, left face, keep your mouth shut, private, over, over men without violating their sense of manhood and her sense of womanhood. Go home. They want power, not equality. This is the highest location they can ascend to that power in the evangelical church. We are meaning makers and storytellers, and the stories we tell ourselves are the stories that shape our lives. We need each other badly or goodly. We need each other, and we keep forgetting again and again and again that we are loved. And we say, no, I'm no good. No, I messed it all up. No, I feel so guilty. No, I feel so ashamed. We need each other. In the midst of this difficult, dark, and often violent world, we need to have a community of support to which we can call all people and be a community of hope. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Opening. I'm Rick Pitcock, and this is going to be part two of my conversation with Wendell Griffin, who is a U.S. Circuit Judge and a pastor. And in our in our last episode, we uh, had part one of the conversation, and in this one, we're going to have part two. I'm going to do one more uh, episode after this with him, and then we'll get on to uh, back to our our normal article format. So. But I wanted to just, before this conversation, just mention that um, this is, we, we have a lot going on right now as far as the national conversation regarding the January 6th insurrection and the Congress is, is putting on these hearings and there are uh, a lot of people that are listening to them, watching them. We're seeing the video again of the attack on the Capitol, and we're seeing American flags and Trump flags and Christian flags all together. And and so there's been this renewed uh, conversation over the last week about Christian nationalism and about how uh, Christians think about politics and and what Christians uh, should, how Christians should see politics as part of their mission in the world. And there has been, there have been some people who, a lot of evangelicals are, um, they have some opinions about politics, but they're, they're not really planning on 
uh, ransacking the the capital, uh, and and then there there are some who are are taking things a bit more seriously, and they're actually embracing the Christian nationalism term. I've even heard some people this week talk about how we need an ultra Christian nationalism, and so a lot of this a lot of this stuff is is difficult to process because the people who are wanting an ultra Christian nationalism are voting for the same candidates as the people who don't want that, who, who are politically conservative, but don't really buy into the whole, um, Jesus is a Republican mindset basically. So it, it becomes, it becomes blurry and tricky for those who lean more politically conservative, but, who don't want to get caught up in a lot of the insurrection stuff. So that's why I thought it would be helpful to bring on uh, this conversation with Wendell Griffin, because while this was a conversation that I had with him a year and a half ago, it is one that is definitely relevant to this conversation regarding how Christians think about justice. And, And Wendell Griffin is coming from a place that most evangelicals in America are not coming from. So I think it would be helpful to get his thoughts. Again, this was not originally a podcast. It was just a conversation I had with him uh, during my fellowship with Baptist News Global. So uh, it's not a, the, the sound quality isn't the greatest and it's not a traditional podcast conversation, but it was such a good conversation. He had so many good insights that I wanted to share it with you. And so here is part two of my conversation with Wendell Griffin. Does that sound, make sense? To yeah, you? no, it does. I feel like um, it's like one of the books we had to read was by Roger Olson. Um, who's a pretty conservative white theologian. And in his introduction um, to the story of Christian theology, he talked about, like, he admitted a lot of the ethics issues that have been done by those who are in power throughout Christian history. But he said, basically, that he thinks that they got their theology right despite their ethics issues. And for me, it was like, I can't divorce ethics from your theology. And so to me, the, the ethics of power and hierarchy and abuse are flowing from a theology of hierarchy and power and abuse. And your views of justice, this retributive justice that they preach, people are mirroring that in the way they treat one another. Like, is, is that similar to what you're talking about? Yeah, I had a, I had a signal experience years old, 40 years ago, I guess now, there was a black preacher named William Augustus Jones, Bill Jones, who wrote a book, God in the Ghetto. And Bill Jones came and was a preacher in Little Rock at a minister's conference at Arkansas Baptist College. And Bill Jones, during one of his sermons, said something that goes just to the point you just made. And it's also something he writes in God and Ghetto. He said, 
bad theology always produces dysfunctional sociology. And dysfunctional sociology produces just demented psychology. No, bad theology produce, produces demented psychology. Demented psychology produces dysfunctional sociology. Dysfunctional sociology always produces oppressive anthropology, and then they always produce oppressive economics and ideologies. He said it all flows from bad theology. If your notion of God is wrong or flawed, your notion of self and others and power is wrong, to your point you just made. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's where I have, that's where I've tried to spend my efforts. Uh, part of what I'm wrestling with in the current moment we're living in is the, the underperformance, the underperformance of faithful people in the face of glaring oppression, whether it's the glaring oppression of, of environmental injustice, climate change, global warming, uh, rising sea levels, people being displaced because of droughts and floods that are related to the, the wrong use of human power and the exploitation of the environment, or whether it's the oppressive realities of racism and sexism, homophobia, transphobia, the oppression of xenophobia, the, the ways that authoritarian faith uh, has become has become sacralized and even embraced what's neo what is can be only be called neo-fascism. And the relative silence of the faithful community in the face of that. Uh, I believe that 15 years from now, theologians and religious writers and religious historians are gonna look back on this time and ask what in the world was happening that people of faith were not leading the voices of of protest were not leading the cries against neo-fascism about authoritarianism about the exploitation of the climate and the environment uh, about the gross wealth disparities that people of faith were not talking about that mm -hmm. i mean People, why, why were people of faith not talking about the fact that we've got two guys, Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson, trying to figure out how to spend their money going to, into space as a, on a junket? Yeah. When we have when we when we have people who are living in the streets, 
during a global pandemic and are being put out of their homes. We have realtors who are fussing because they can't put them out of their homes. And the most important thing one of people want to talk about is two guys trying to do a private space race. Uh, yeah. I think that people are going to ask, why in the world we talk about that? Why, what happened to us? Why do you think white evangelicals not only don't want to talk about it, but are just in denial that those are even problems that exist? The word denial is, is the exact word. Well, I think that involves coming face to face with white supremacy. For the first time in our history, white supremacy is becoming more and more challenged by more and more people. And white evangelicals want to have nothing to do with the conversation about the, the complicity of white evangelicalism and white supremacy. And part of that conversation involves the way wealth has been misused. Whether you're talking about the Waltons who engaged in wage theft to become billionaires because they didn't pay their workers well or didn't provide benefits to their workers. And now you've got a family of billionaires that are defunding public education and at the, on the one hand and trying to talk about being philanthropists on the other hand. Or whether you're talking about Jeff Bezos who is talking about how well he's making, he's redefined re retail while he has an oppressive way of getting his money. And white evangelicals don't want to talk about that because that requires them to go way back and look about how white faithful people have turned a blind eye to oppression of workers and oppression of people of color and oppression of women. And they're in denial about that. So it's a whole lot easier to talk about these, you know, these other issues, uh, inerrancy during the eighties or complementarianism during the 21st century, which, which is just another way of saying exploitation and denigration of women and sacralization of misogyny. Uh, but it allows them to sacralize these conversations that are, and not talk about the sin of abusing power based upon white privilege or male privilege or wealth privilege. I think that's the reason. I. I and I think it again goes to the theology. Mm -hmm. uh, if you read, you know, if your theology is wrong, your hermeneutics are going to be wrong too. And so, and so, you know, your your if your theology is wrong, you read the Great Commission as a license to go proselytize, as opposed to a mandate to do love and justice. And to model love and justice, and to call on the society and the world to be 
instruments of love and justice. But if you if you've spent your entire life talking about talking about private morality as opposed to communal justice, communal healing and health. You can't, you can't find comfort dealing with the issues of injustice and the issues of liberation theology that we talk about. Mm-hmm. And so that the, the denial is easy. Uh, you know, Billy Graham did. You can't find can't find five sermons Billy Graham preached about racism or poverty or income inequality or or the the wrongness of military militarism. Billy Graham and Billy Graham is a hero to this day. Uh, but whether it's Billy Graham or it's, as I was thinking this morning, Bill Bright, the Campus Crusade for Christ. Let's see, I'm, I come from the age in, in the 60s, I was in college in the late 60s, and Bill Bright and Campus Crusade for Christ was, was, was making their way. Well, the people who grew up with Campus Crusade for Christ in the 60s are the Fellowship Bible Church folks in the 2020s. Mm-hmm. They're the big box non-denominational denomination churches. They're the John MacArthur kind of churches. They're the they are the they are the neo-Calvinists. Well, they're not really good Calvinists, but yeah. <laughs> I mean in the in the in the in the true sense, because Calvin had Calvin had a real sense of social justice. It was, it was it was not all pietistic for Calvin, mm-hmm. but it allowed but that kind of orientation allows people to be in denial about about social injustice. That's how they can spend an entire year talking about scripture and never talk about Amos or Micah or the social justice messages in Jeremiah or Isaiah. They can spend a whole lot talking about the time about the purity code or the holiness code, but not talk about reparations or restitution or worker justice. And they don't spend very much time talking about the issues of xenophobia. And and the rather interesting dynamic that we have people who call themselves followers of Jesus who are hateful towards immigrants when Jesus was the immigrant in chief. I mean, you can't be more immigrant than Jesus. Yeah. And you've got these people who who jump up and down and become cheerleaders and counselors to uh, people who are anti-immigrants, anti-religious minorities. Jesus was a minority religion. 
the end, the religion of Jesus was a minority religion. The religion of Moses was a, major, was a minority religion in its time. And so we have this, this denial of the real issues in our faith system that people don't get a chance to hear because they're listening to pastors and teachers who don't bring the perspective of liberation theology uh, or sense of prophetic faith that you and I have come to know. Mm -hmm. I mean, Cornell West wrote about it very well in his 2004 book, Democracy in America. I mean, democracy matters. Democracy matters. Uh, he talked about the tension between Constantinian Christianity and prophetic Christianity. And what we have is a basically a Christianity that is more Constantinian than is prophetic. That's why religious nationalism is so popular. And religious nationalism makes it easy to be in denial about everything about justice. Yeah. So how do you, I mean, I feel like the, the natural response to all this stuff, it just feels like um, it's angering. It is very angering. Like, how do you, um, how do you find a place of like being at home in your anger? Alan Buzak wrote a book titled Dare We Speak of Hope? And in that book, Buzak reminds us that something that Augustine wrote. Augustine said that hope uh, has two daughters. Uh, courage and anger. Anger at the way things are and courage to speak from the anger about how things can and should be. And I find that I can be faithful to my anger when I, number one, don't deny it, express it, and express it from a standpoint of, of, of sensitivity that the anger I I'm in touch with is an anger that is divine. That God is angered by the way we mistreat each other and mistreat ourselves and mistreat the, the world in which God has placed us. That God is wounded. And that our oneness with God, and I speak of that oneness often, our oneness with God should inspire and, and impel us to, to be at home with the anger. And yet and still, our oneness with God should inspire and impel us to speak courageously from that anger about God's love for God's humanity and God's call for humanity to be instruments of healing and grace and hospitality and liberation. 
that is the imperative that I have as a writer to speak honestly about the anger and to from that honesty, hopefully try to present a courageous message that calls us to act with God as agents of God for liberation and justice. If I don't do that, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just having a, a rant. Mm -hmm. Now, I need to have a rant every once in a while. I have to have an outlet, okay? Mm -hmm. My rants are not worthy, my rants are not worthy of serious reflection. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, theological gas is just like digestive gas. It's necessary, but you don't really want it. It, 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 does, it has no nutritional value. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and so I've got to I've got to be careful that my rents are not the things that I want to present as food. I need to present prophetic rage, prophetic reason, and call people into understanding a prophetic relationship with the with, with the God who calls us to be people of love and justice grace and joy and hope and to remember that the the message of our faith the real gospel of our faith is that the sovereignty of god is both the foundation of my faith but is also the direction I need to be presenting in my writing, that somehow my anger, somehow my hope, somehow my prophetic call needs to, needs to find some connection with the sovereignty of God and the notion that we are part of what God is about in the world that we either are part of what God is about in the world or God has issues with us and God has something to do with correcting us in order for God to get what God wants done in the world, accomplished. Mm -hmm. Now, that's that's a rough way of putting it. Yeah. And I Where wrestle do you... with it. I, I, struggle with, yeah. I struggle with the anger issues. Mm-hmm. I struggle yeah. with it. Because I feel like a lot of the, like I grew up in the very white conservative evangelical churches that's got the coffee on Sunday morning and the nice band and the lights and the, everything. And so when I get on social media and I point out some like the angst against CR, critical race theory or different things like that, um, then I'll get, I'll, I'll get people thinking like, well, you sound so angry. You're too negative towards the church. You're being too picky. And um, I've, I struggle with, uh, I need to give voice to this. Um, uh, but I also, I think that, 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 uh, that anger and courage thing definitely helps. 
Um, I don't. I, I, I'm. I think that we've been too nice. Yeah. And and I think part of why people push back at us when we say, "Hey, uh, how dare you? How dare you come down on CRT?" Number one, it's hypocritical for you to come down on CRT when you were never, when you were never critical of white supremacy and the misuse of the religion of Jesus to be uh, complicit in white supremacy, whether it's in apartheid in, in South Africa or Jim, so Jim, Jim Crow segregation in this country or the mistreatment of indigenous people in this country and elsewhere around the world uh, or the way that you misunderstood or misused the gospel to license missionary ventures, which were really a way of laying the groundwork for imperialism and colonialism uh, and commercialism uh, and commercial exploitation of, of minerals and land in places in Asia and Africa and the, the Americas. I think we have to be angry with that and own that and say, listen, uh, I am not going to be, I'm not going to I'm not going to be lectured by people who have made it their business to look on the other walk by on the other side of the Good Samaritans highway and go on down the road and ignore the bleeding beaten people on life's highway in the name of their piety. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think the anger is healthy. I think the anger is necessary. And I quite frankly think that one of the things that we are seeing now, aside from the folks at CRT, is the new wedge issue that the neo-fascists are hoping to get white religionists uh, to look at in order to believe that they've got to protect Jesus mm -hmm. <laughs> somehow. <laughs> that they're standing up for Jesus by, 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 by fighting critical race theory. Uh, as if it's a threat. As if it's a threat. You know. And so I think we have to call out the hypocrisy. And I, and, I, and I quite frankly, I may take too much joy in calling out the hypocrisy. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's joy because I realize that this is what I feel like I'm, I'm good at, or whether it's joy because I realize, wait a minute, you were wondering how God allowed you to get all these legal skills and analytical skills and mining skills, and now you know. This is why. Yeah. Because you are able to dissect and debunk uh, and deconstruct these palatial arguments and present them uh, as heresies. They are heresies to the gospel of Jesus. They're heresies to the notion to, to, to the great imperatives of love of God and love of neighbor.
I don't think that the church has integrity to speak any good news at all until the church actually understands the reality that it is living and has crafted bad news in public policy. It has established theological foundations for oppression that have lived throughout the times and only changed shape over the generations, but has not been repented of. Bad theology always produces diminished psychology. Diminished psychology produces dysfunctional sociology. Dysfunctional sociology always produces oppressive anthropology, and then they always produce oppressive economics and ideologies. You see, it all flows from bad theology. Your notion of God is wrong or flawed. Your notion of self and others and power is wrong. Thank you for listening to the opening podcast with Rick Pitcock. The opening is a podcast that deconstructs the power dynamics of religious hierarchies and opens us up to healthy relationship. For more information about today's episode, please check out rickpitcock.com and follow on social media at Rick Pitcock.